Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Worship is such an important part of the discipline of being a Christ follower because the Spirit of God inhabits the praise and the Spirit of God inhabits worship. When we sing to God, it's not just that He's always present and always near us. It's that in the nearness that He has to us, He actually still can come to us and change our moment, change what we're facing, change how we perceive what's going on around us. I think that one of the greatest things about being a worshiper of the living God is that when His Spirit comes, when His presence falls on us as we worship in spirit and in truth, we, for a moment and sometimes maybe even for a a, a number of moments, get to realize the reality of His presence. And you know what? I appreciate that God is for us. I do. I, I appreciate that God is for us. Because if God is for me, what can be against me? That's what the Bible says. And I truly do appreciate it. But i got to tell you this. God being for me does not really hold a candle to God being with me. God being for me is wonderful. God being for me is great. It gives me a sense of confidence. It gives me a a knowledge that he is holding all things. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But God for me, to me, is unmatched by the reality of this fact, that God is with me, that God wants to be with us. And he does that through the inhabitation of the praises of his people. Over the course of my life so far, I've seen the presence of God show up and change hearts and minds. I know of people who have come after being in the presence of God because of worship in the presence of God that were going to go home and end their life but have decided that there's hope for their tomorrow. I know people who have been physically healed in the present reality of God in worship. I know marriages that have been restored in the present reality of God in worship. You see, because those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And when we let down our guard and we become true worshipers, worshiping in spirit and in truth, God can have his way in us in a reality that would never exist before. So important to know personally the power of praise. Personally, I know this, that the power of worship is bondage breaking because I, in this struggle with depression over many times in life, have stepped into the moment of worship and allowed God to come and inhabit that worship and watch depression go the other way. And many of you know it to be true as well. Mental chains of depression fall off because our heart, our focus, is turned to the person of Jesus. I've seen and known the healing power of the presence for God, the presence of God in many people as they worship Him. I've seen hard men become soft. I've seen strong-willed women become compliant. I've seen rebellious rebellious children become followers, all because of the presence of God as his people worship him. I want to tell you this morning, the greatest thing you can do for your children is make sure that they are in the presence of God as often as possible. You You will save yourself so much parenting trouble by making sure your kids are in the presence of God. Don't ever ground them from the presence of God. He's the one person who can change everything you can't. And that's a fact. I want to share a story with you this morning from the Bible, the book of Acts specifically. I hope that you've been attending, as you've been attending uh, with us, you found some of these things to be true. This morning in worship, I hope you found it to be true that everything in the world kind of gets dim in the light of Jesus as we worship. 
I, I hope that you've experienced amazing moments in the power of praising God. I hope that you experience the healing of wounds and that many bondages fall away from you this morning. And here's why I share that. Paul and Silas are in chains and in prison. In the book of Acts chapter 16, this is, uh, just for a little bit of background, this is the first time the gospel has gone into Europe, this historical book of the Bible, Acts, recording history by, accounted by eyewitnesses, okay? The first time, and the, for the very first time that the gospel goes into Europe, the first person, the first convert to become a follower of Jesus is a woman named Lydia. And the Bible calls her simply a seller of purple, because that was a thing back in the day. You know, you couldn't just go to Walmart or Target or whatever and, and get dye color or whatever. It was, a, it was actually a, a trade. And she dealt in purple fabric, and, and she likely was well off, likely well established in her town, in her city. She's the first one to get saved, and, and Paul and Silas go and stay with her at her home. And they begin to minister, they begin to evangelize, they begin to share about Jesus, what they've seen, what they know to be true with people around. And, and the Bible doesn't really tell us how quickly those are coming, but we know that they were there for a few days. You know what, I just want to read it from you. They end up in chains, and they, I want you to know that they ended up in chains because of this. They offended the culture of a city. Don't underestimate what worship does in terms of its warfare in the culture of a city. I remember as a kid, I was not a, as a kid, as a, as a younger man, um, being on a missions trip in San Francisco, we went down to a place called Polk Street, which was uh, kind of at, at, the, at the time a mecca for kind of all things, all things, I don't know, super progressive, you might say. Uh, you had homelessness, you had all expressions of sexuality. It was kind of like Woodstock in the city, uh, maybe is a good way to say it. But I remember being an 18-year-old kid, playing my guitar on the street, and all we were there to do was play, and we would talk with people and you know, make a few friends, uh, but we'd play and we would worship specifically. And as I'm worshiping and playing a guitar uh, against a, a brick wall building, I'll never ever forget, my eyes were closed, and there was a loud smash that happened right beside my face. And what had happened was a very large muscular guy wearing super, super short shorts on roller skates was, I opened my eyes and he's in the street and he is, he is spitting and, and enraged. I mean, it was the most, it was demonic. It was, I, I don't believe it was that man. I think there was a spiritual reality behind that. But he had taken a full bottle of beer and tried to hit me in the head with it. And I'll, I'll never forget the smash beside the left side of my face. I'll never forget it. And uh, opening my eyes to see, I mean, that, he, was, he was bigger than Carlisle, that guy. Bigger and fast because he was on roller skates too, I, I assume. But uh, you, know, you know what was amazing is there's a boldness that comes into us when we're persecuted for our faith. We were, we were just there to, to talk, to be happy, to sing, to, to, to talk with whoever wanted to talk, to make friends. And uh, my response to that attempted assault was to close my eyes again and just go to the next verse of the song. And I, I can't tell you how frightening and amazing it was all at the same time, but the power of worship is, is undeniable in that it takes people from their bondage. It breaks bonds. 
So Acts 16, if you want to follow along with me this morning in your Bible, on your phone, whatever you happen to have, this is what it says. It happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So we have, a, we have a little girl who is a sla- literally a slave, okay? Not, not a servant. She has been trafficked. She has been bought and sold as a slave, a little girl. And she happens to have a gift of divination. And it says that she was following, um, sorry, the slave girl for div- divination met us, was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. It says, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. And Paul was greatly annoyed and turned around and said to the spirit, now not to the little girl, notice what the Bible says. He doesn't address the girl, he addresses the demonic spirit. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the spirit came out of her at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, now just recognize this for a second so that we don't think that there is something unjust going on here from what Paul and Silas are doing. Okay? There's nothing unjust with the gospel. In fact, the gospel is set up to change injustice in the world, to bring peace and justice, to encourage mercy and kindness. So our master saw that their hope of profit was gone. So they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. This is why I told you they offended the culture of a city. Now, it's true that Paul and Silas were, were, were Jewish, but what... But what these Romans had, they had no idea that what they really were was Christians, followers of Jesus. So the crowd rose up, verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded uh, to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Now, I just want you to understand that, that that's in here for a reason. There's a command on the jailer to make sure these guys don't get away. I, and for what? I mean, they're praying for people. Really offensive, apparently. And he, having received such a command, not just threw them into prison, but threw them, it says, into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The stocks, if you remember, are those boards with the little holes cut in them so that you can't pull your heads, hands, or feet out. They had him, they had Paul and Silas chained and in the stocks. But about midnight, now everyone say, but about midnight. Like, I feel like this is the place for a good old, like, spirit, like a black spiritual. It'd be all about midnight. Paul and, and you should repeat. See, it'd be all about midnight, all about midnight. Paul and Silas. Inside, they were praying, 
singing hymns to God. Oh, I feel the Spirit. It's so good. See, it just, it just begins to happen. Because when we read about people worshiping and praising God, something comes up in us and we say, we got to do that too for those of us who follow Jesus. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Make a note of that, please. And the prisoners were listening to them. And then it says this, verse 26, And suddenly, everyone say suddenly, there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all of the doors opened. And everyone's chains were unfastened. For what? Because Paul and Silas had a lock-picking kit tucked in their robe, and they picked all the lo- No. Why, why does this happen? All about midnight while Paul and Silas were praying and singing. It's because the Spirit of God, the presence of God, showed up. The doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself because we're all still here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him all together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very night and washed their wounds. And immediately, everyone say immediately, he was baptized. See, I just want to share some of these things with you. When the Bible says, and immediately, I want you to realize there is an example set that is intending you to follow it. And so many people, yeah, I think I'm going to become a follower of Jesus, and then you want to take 42 years to get baptized. What is up with that? In the Bible, people become followers of Jesus, and immediately they want to get baptized. Just say it. Sorry if you're waiting for a long time. I didn't didn't mean to personally call you out, but I'm not sorry that it happened. They spoke the word of the Lord. They washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Something powerful, something profound happened that night when Paul and Silas, at about midnight, began to worship God. As a child, this has got to be one of the more fascinating stories I read in the book of Acts. I mean, there's some amazing stories in the book of Acts, but this one perhaps is one of the more fascinating ones for me. Because when the people of God, no matter what their situation is, begin to point out not just to their surroundings, but to those around them, and even into their own souls, that God is in fact who he says he is. That he is in fact worthy of praise. The inhabitation, the presence of God comes and dwells in that praise, and prison walls can't hold it. Chains can't stay done up when God's people begin to worship him. They can't. They fall off of people. I should have brought chains this morning and locked somebody up. 
just so you know what it's like. Thank you, Grandma. I'll remember that next time, buddy. What, what, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is really quite simple for you this morning. God is always doing more than you can comprehend in the foreground and the background of every situation you're in. Just, just simple steps here, okay? God is always doing more. And for that reason, it becomes appropriate to worship him regardless of your situation. Because lots of us, we get the hard attitude where, well, things are not going well, therefore, I don't want to, I don't feel like worshiping God. But what we fail to comprehend in that moment is that because of his great love for us, the Bible says he is always working all things for our good in the background. And so it, it is, the Bible is justified when it says, hey guys, when you encounter trial, trouble, tribulation, persecution, consider it all joy. Why? Because God's doing something in the background. And if God is doing amazing things in the foreground or in the background of your life, is he not worthy of your worship? You see, we only think that God is worthy of worship after the fact, but let me tell you the secret to life on this planet. God was always worthy of worship. Not after anything, but before all things. Because the Bible says that He is before all things. And I think we need to worship Him before all things. But of course, you know that. Consider this, for whatever reason, you might find yourself in chains this morning. Metaphorical chains, physical chains. God is planning the freedom of others along with yours. See, whatever difficult situation you find yourself in, whatever bondage you find yourself in, you need to know this, that God is not only going to take you out of bondage, but he is going to bring those around you out of bondage as well. And if God has the audacity to put me in a situation so that he can make everything even better than it was before it started, who am I to disagree, first of all? But second of all, why wouldn't I worship him? Why wouldn't I lift my voice? Don't forget, these guys were not just thrown in prison. They were beaten within an inch of their life first. You know that Romans, in the culture that they had for punishment, they liked to use, the, they liked to use a number when they scourged a man, when they beat a man, and it was said to be 39 because 40 would kill him. We don't want to go over 40 strokes because we'll kill people, but if we want to teach him a lesson, we go right to the line. So in all likelihood, they each received a good 39 blows with rods. We're not talking what granny sent you out to get back in the day when lickings were still happening all the time. Go cut me a switch. You know, they, these, these were staffs. It, it'd be like, it's not even like being hit with a hockey stick because they're so light now. It's like an old wooden stick. But know this, that when you're in chains, God is planning something. God is working. God is moving. And because God is still working and moving, regardless of your situation, He is still deserving of the praise that belongs to Him. They were praying and singing, and the prisoners were listening to them. You remember that? 
It says, and the, and, they were, and the prisoners, those around in that room, were listening to them. And I want you to know this, that your moment in bondage, your moment in chains, your moment in brokenness, your moment in frustration is often going to be the platform with which God is blessing you to help someone else. I know that none of us like suffering. None of us really want to appreciate suffering. None of us want to be a part of injustice, especially when it's pointed at us. But if you can always remember that because God is doing something in your background, because God is doing something in the areas that you can't see in the moment, that he is still going to be worthy of praise. That's what Paul and Silas knew. They knew that even though it was unjust that they were imprisoned, even though it was unjust that they had been beaten, even though it was unjust that they did not know when they would get a court appointment. Do you know that it was illegal for them to be arrested because, in fact, they were Romans? In Rome, you couldn't just, in the Roman world, you couldn't just go and arrest a citizen. They had rights. And if you continue reading in the chapter, the Apostle Paul, he, he actually calls them to account for that. And there's a whole process that takes place because wherever we worship God, injustice will begin to cease and the justice of God becomes prevalent. It happens. They were praying and singing and the prisoners were listening to them. So your moment in chains might very well be the platform to share the life you have in Christ with those around you. Don't ever... Please don't ever justify a heart attitude that says, I'm not gonna. Don't justify it because you might well be robbing someone else of their next opportunity. I wonder sometimes if, if God would ever tell me or tell you or tell us, or maybe we'll just know in heaven one day. But how many times God had to reroute? You know, like if God was the GPS in the dash of your vehicle. And you make a mistake, and it says rerouting, and then it, it tries again. I wonder how often God has reworked and rerouted for us. Because we were slow on the take. We had a wrong attitude. We said, no, I'm just not going to do it that way. I'm not going to do it now, even though immediately is a common word in the New Testament. Listen, your ability to worship in the hard times might very well be the key to someone else's freedom. That's a fact. I want you to know this morning simply that worship brings the presence of God, and when the presence of God comes, bondage breaks. Bondage breaks. And not only that, but doors open. Doors open. Prisoners are set free. Fetters fall off. The stalks come off. The things that restrain you, the things that hold you in a place that prevents you from moving forward, those things can be broken off with a heart of worship and with the action of worship in our lives because worship is a bondage breaker for those who follow Jesus. Shackles fall off of people's physical minds when they begin to worship. It's interesting to me that nobody ran out of the prison. I don't know if you noticed that in the story. I mean, if I was jailed, wrongly or rightly, and all of a sudden the chains fell off and the doors opened up, I, I think you would be the same as me. Would we not be like, oh, there's my miracle. I'm leaving. 
but none of the prisoners left. And I, and I scratch my head at that. I wonder, why is it that prisoners didn't leave when God showed up and knocked off the chains and opened the doors? Paul didn't have to tell them to stay. Silas didn't tell them to stay. They just simply said, don't worry, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And I want you to understand this morning why. What happens? You see, because when Jesus comes and sets people free, they don't run away. They run to him. See, when Jesus truly sets us free, we don't run away. We run to. We don't run away. We run to. And I want to just throw this straight up at the pipe at some of you this morning. Because I believe there are some sitting here watching the service with us online today. That you've been running away rather than running to the one who can break your bondage. The one who can heal your heart. The one who can heal your disease. The one who can change how you think. The patterns. The, the very neuropaths in your brain. God can change a broken mind. Those prisoners didn't run. Rightly or wrongly accused. Rightly or wrongly imprisoned. They didn't run away. They stayed. And maybe the preaching was that good. Maybe the worship was that good. I don't know. Well, all I know is that when people experience the authentic presence of God, they don't run away from it. They run toward it. Why am I telling you this this morning? Because you are the voice of worship. You're the voice of worship. The church. One person singing to God might become an album. But when the body of Christ begins to sing to God, it becomes something far more valuable. When the body of Christ begins to worship God in the way that He deserves, in spirit and in truth, He comes. And we desperately need God to come right now. We desperately need God to settle on our city. We desperately need God to settle in our area, in our region, in our province, and certainly in our nation. We need his presence to settle on us. We need him to come and live in the praises of his people. Next week, we're going to talk about how worship is the cause of liberty. Because it's not just enough to be set free. It's not even worth being set free if you want to run back into bondage. But to be set free and stay free, that's a different life to live altogether. I want us just to take a moment this morning as we close the service. Let's, let's ask God the question. Every week we do this at Generations Church. It's not new to many of us. But we always take this moment in the service and we pause because so many of us are bad at pausing. And we ask one simple question of God. We say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? And if you'll just be brave enough this morning because he is here, his presence is here. He'll speak to you. No, he won't grab you and pick you up off the ground. He probably won't even audibly say something in your ear. Although I've seen that happen. 
But more than likely, what you're going to feel is God speaking to you right here, your heart, what the Bible calls our inner man. So let's just take a moment. You right where you are, why don't you ask him, God, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.